Hello and welcome to Hanks for the Memories. You've got a friend in us. This is episode 14, Big, from 1988. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski in this. So Mike, I was saying before we started recording, before we introduced our two guests, that it's not like it's a lot of work, but before we started either podcast, this and the Tom Cruise podcast, I went through and I pulled out all of their Golden Globe and Academy Award nominations, and I put them in the spreadsheet, and I was like, when we get close to these, I'm going to be like, look, the next movie's a big one, Tom Hanks nominated for Oscar, I have not been saying that because I'm not good at this. (laughs) You know, that's okay. However, he was... He was nominated for an Academy Award for this movie, did not win, lost to Dustin Hoffman in a film called Rain Man, which we covered on our other podcast. This is also nominated for Best Original Screenplay, which also lost to Rain Man. I feel like the the circle is sort of closing, or like things are linking together in the Tom Tom Club, Mm -hmm. as it were, because of the crossover overlap here. Yeah, worlds are colliding. With us today to talk about this movie, we have a return champion to the Hanks of the Memories podcast, Mr. Walt Hickey. Hello, Walt. Hello, how's it going, y'all? Very well. Thank you for joining us for this movie. I'm really excited. Also with us today is a returning champion from other podcasts of ours, first time in the Tom Tom Club. We have Miss Holly Gore. Hello, Holly. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me back. Thank you for being here as well. So I think that this was, if I don't, I don't remember, I don't have the exact specifics, but I feel like of all the movies that people, you know, when we put out our, our call for submissions, as it were, and see which, uh, which movies our friends want to do on the show, it feels like this was one of the big ones. Like, everybody wanted to do this movie, and I think <laughs> for good reason. It was one of the what ones? I'm just going to keep laughing all episode in the background because you're going to just say big so much (laughs) oh big 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 but here's a stunning turn of events i don't know if i had ever seen this movie in its entirety before today whoa (gasps) wow i've never seen this movie before today wow okay Okay. so that's two of us all right all right well i had never known that there was a two-hour extended cut of this movie (laughs) until today holly which one did you wind up watching the extended or the regular so i ended up watching the regular because it was available on demand on my tv and i could buy it with one click gotcha okay and walt you said that you watched the regular as well right I i totally watched the theatrical cut it was the one on youtube that is available for rental and uh i think it's a perfect length i don't i don't know what was left in the can i gotta say i really i think it was a, a nice tight film. An extra 25% left in the can because it's 25 minutes longer. It is wildly long for a comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a bit long. <laughs> Not to show my hand too much, but too long. Like, the yeah. theatrical cut is the better version. <laughs> we, we'll get to that. Yeah, reflecting, I, I don't know what else I would have wanted to see in this film. Well, I can think of a few things that I probably would have liked to see in the film, but, like, I don't think that the 25 minutes to have an important conversation about, you know, I'm 13, please don't do anything. <laughs> Now, Walt, have you seen this movie before? Um, I've seen this movie before. I've seen it, like, it's one of those situations where you see a movie, like, 70% of a movie, because it's on TBS, where it's, like, a holiday weekend and things are on. So I had seen, like, the whole movie on, like, five different occasions, but only 70% of the time. So I had a gist for the plot, but this was nice to kind of sit down, kick back, relax, and watch big. I can't believe I, I saw this in theaters. I'm the only one here. <laughs> I think I saw part of this in a class at one point. I don't know what class that would have been other than a, hey, I don't feel like teaching today. Watch big. <laughs> I, like it doesn't, there's, no, there's no lesson to be learned here. I feel like the most pressing or the most relevant content in this, is, I mean, I feel like this is also the kind of movie that everybody has seen, even if they haven't seen it. Like, they know the premise of it. They know the keyboard scene. They know some, like Elizabeth Perkins has sex with a 13-year-old boy. They sort of, I think, get most of the gist of this. I did not know two of four of those things really? before today. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm the world's worst film person because I just, I don't watch movies. There's a stunning amount of movies that in pop culture you deem like you have to have seen this or, or have the reference. I only knew of the piano scene. I didn't really know any of the other context. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like there's some things that percolate. Like, I feel like the the Zoltar machine, I feel like that's a thing that comes mm-hmm. up in other stuff. I think, like, yeah, the piano scene, obviously. Yeah, I think it's I think it's permeated. There's sort of similar movies like this throughout the 80s, too. Like, it's not a total body swap type of movie where he's, like, switching roles with his dad and his dad becomes him <laughs> or anything. But, you know, it is he does become an adult, and it is sort of halfway there. So there's a little bit of, like, familiarity with the premise if you're sort of coming at it for the first time. Yeah. Because I think from Comedy Bang Bang, and specifically Lauren Lapkus, I think there's the the reverse big situation that we all know about. (laughs) And, you know, Zephantine again is a reverse big situation. The Young Again Keanu movie is a reverse big situation. The movie Little that came out a few months ago. Little, Yeah. yeah. 
there's a lot of reverse big situations. There's also a lot of big situations. Like, but here's a question: Is this the first? Is this one of the first, or is this the first time that this like was a mainstream premise in a movie? I think there were a lot of like I mentioned. There were a lot of the ones where like the parent, like Freaky Friday, was was like a template. And then I think this came along, and then we started getting like 13 going on 30, right? Like that is sort of like a version of this, except. She doesn't wake up the next day 30. I mean, well, it's not the same year. She wakes up 30 years later or something like that or 20 years later. But I think this, yeah, took it in that new direction. Let's kick things off. Now, Walt, you had seen parts of this, most of this, a lot of this on TBS. Now you have watched the whole thing. Yes. What would you say is your favorite part? And I feel like this is a difficult thing because I feel like a lot of this movie is kind of like an extended montage of kid as adult. Yeah. But if you had to pick a favorite part or a favorite moment or a scene or whatever, what is your favorite part of Big? I think my favorite part is probably some of the office gags that they get into. Like how John Lovitz asked him to like work slower. Come on, don't be new. And, and then like all the very like early 90s, late 80s workplace kind of shenanigans. Like, oh, well, he would be, wear a weird thing to an office party, but he's not seen as a child. He's seen as, like, a weird, crazy guy. And, like, <laughs> I, I just thought that some of the, like, the comedy of errors that they got into that was kind of like a pastiche of office life of just, like, yeah, you do have the weird guy in the office who goes a little bit too extra at the parties. Yeah, you do have the, the weird dynamics when it comes to the... And so I thought how, like, effortlessly he blends into a complicated corporate environment was a deeply funny satire of the complicated corporate environment. Yeah, I love how it's like he doesn't see anything wrong with the way he's acting or dressing or anything. Yes. It's like... Mm-hmm. But it's, it, it's a perfect joke that the old guy who runs the company is like, no, 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 no. Let's hear this kid out. Like, he's got some good ideas. <laughs> he may be a bit weird, but you can't get around... He, the idea of bugs, transformers? Like, give this man more salary. Like, it's just too good. <laughs> yeah, Robert Loja is smitten by Tom Hanks in this movie. Yeah. Like, I, so here's, here's my big takeaway is that everyone in this company, everyone at McMillan Toys is horny. Everyone is horny. (laughs) (laughs) It was the 80s. What else are you supposed to do? They're making the wrong kind of toys. I guess so. I guess everybody's high on cocaine and horny. But Elizabeth Perkins is like calling people and talking about sex. Obviously, John Lovitz is talking about like, oh, if you want to go screw that woman, you can. Like, you can just say the word and she'll have her legs wrapped around you. Uh, John Hurd is horny. Like, Tom Hanks is horny when, like, he sees down Elizabeth Perkins' blouse. Like, this company, this factory, this, you know, environment that makes children's toys, everyone just wants to fuck. It's just wild for a PG movie. Yeah, no, it's a bit heavy. I mean, then again, PG meant many different things at the time, right? Like, PG-13 was still rather new, or was it even around yet? Like, I don't know. I think it was probably around... Yeah, it was fairly new. About 84, 83, Gremlins and Indiana Jones and uh, Temple of Doom, I believe, was like... So it was like the Wild West. It was like, I don't know what mm-hmm. to rate these movies, but yeah, yeah some, I don't know. Some of them, it's interesting if you go back, like some of them are raunchier, some of them are dirtier, some of them, uh, you know, are straight and clean, but all of them for some reason are like PG-13 because you're right like it was the Wild West they were still sort of like feeling out what was acceptable for that rating and stuff but I was a little sort of taken aback Joey especially like last week with all like the um like the sex infused in Dragnet and stuff like that's a movie that took it like really far and sure and this one is still like trying to deal with adult themes and you know he's gonna get laid later and stuff so like I think Penny Marshall right she's directing this one Penny yep like I think Penny Marshall is just trying to sort of pepper this stuff in to say oh adult life casual sex the 80s that kind of thing like it's just no big deal like it's just part of the corporate world the adult world and he's navigating that so he's being exposed to it you guys are like this is the late 80s right and so so you guys are in the premium horny hanks period where Kennedy Award-winning actor Tom Hanks, for a brief period of time between 1984 and 1992, was permitted to be horny on film. This was then forbidden from him expressly in his contract writer until a brief incident in 1998. But after this, like, I mean, like, <laughs> there's not a lot of, like, Tom Hanks' lecherous man. Like, he kind of makes the quick transition in the, in the mid-90s to a, a very different way of life. So treasure this while you can. I understand it may be jarring, but, like... <laughs> 
this is this is the premium time, folks. I think what we're noticing is that we're finding that he's not exactly sure who he is as an actor, and I feel like he's trying a lot of things and kind of on one hand being pigeonholed into comedy, but on the other hand trying to figure out what kind of comedy he wants to do. But he's not quite America's dad yet. Like as you know, <laughs> you know, we ask every episode, like, does he do something in this that he becomes he's on the on the road to becoming America's dad? And like a lot of these it's like, I guess maybe, but like he's still not firmly there. And it is an interesting time to watch these Tom Hanks movies. Well, and I have to admit, the first time he shows up on screen in this film, I thought, oh, young Tom Hanks is really handsome. Right? And then I remembered that he's playing a 13-year-old, and I got grossed out by myself. Right. <laughs> but then the second thing, as he's playing this child, I was like, he really captures a child so well in just his terms of like, being interested in something and then not and having no shame and that like even the scene where he just like licks all the uh, stuff out of the celery and then puts it back down like he just captures the nuances and it was really just charming to watch so too in seeing this I was like oh Tom Hanks was like a really good actor he still is a good actor like it was just it was so refreshing because I haven't watched the Tom Hanks films in forever and I was like oh he is good this is why he was good he was even good back then What's really nice about this one uh, is that this seems to be or feels like the first time where it's a like it's a Tom Hanks movie. Uh, mm. Like a lot of the times in the past, like he's had co-stars, you know, and uh, shared the screen and all that kind of thing. But uh, I feel like for real now, like for the first time, it's like he's the leading man here. This is all revolving around him. It's all on his shoulders and he's doing it like I don't want to say effortlessly because, you know, it takes a lot of effort to make it seem like it's effortless and but it just feels so natural like it just feels like he's connected to this character so well so i was reading about like what they did and apparently penny marshall shot every scene with young tom hanks young josh in his role and he watched what the kid did and then sort of did his spin on that that's what imdb says whether or not that's true but it was upvoted enough that i think it's probably true and he also met with the kid who played himself like young himself and talked to him about a lot of different stuff to sort of get in his mind as it were and see how he should play a lot of these scenes so like it seems like it works as well as it does because both penny marshall and tom hanks and the kid all did as much as they possibly could to make sure that the adult version of Tom Hanks acted like a kid. That is endearing, if true. Yes. Right? Though that though it does take a little bit away from the performance, you know, because it's kind of like Yoda is such a great actor. Wait, you're telling me that there's a puppeteer under? No. Like <laughs> at a certain point, like if he's just imitating the the kid, that does take away a little bit from the legendary performance of, of again the iconic hero Tom Hanks. The one problem I kind of had with this movie was, like, we really don't get enough of young Josh. Oh, we do in the extended cut. Oh, in the extended <laughs> cut, I feel it's the only benefit of the extended cut is before he gets big, because we get a bit more of Josh, a bit more of, like, what's bothering him, what he really wants, all this kind of stuff, and it's just, you know, a little deeper. So in that regard, I kind of like to like knowing that he's portraying the kid as if the kid was doing the role, too, because it makes it feel, like, more connected for me. So, Holly, what about you? What was your favorite part of Big? My favorite part is absolutely the trampoline scene. Mm, yeah. Okay. Because just he invites her in and she thinks they're going to bone down and he's like, no, I'm going to show you all my toys. And he invites her to the trampoline and just like that coaxing because he doesn't just get her on it. He wants her to jump and actually enjoy herself. So she gives this like weak little bounce and he's like, no, come on, you got to do it like this. And like I was just at an amusement park the other day and I was in line and I had commented to the person I was with. I was like, oh, this next ride we're going to go on. Is it scary? And the two kids in front of me in line turn around and instantly engage in a conversation and they're just like lit up and they're like, oh, you know, you got to do this. And when you go on it, you're going to have butterflies. But if you like, you know, clench your hands real hard, you won't have butterflies flies and then when it like just like the genuine like enthusiasm of a kid to be like i want to share my favorite thing or i'm going to explain and just keep making you do it until you get it right like it was just so cute and then they're bouncing and then there's the shot of them outside the windows she has the dress and it's like floating up and like so you can see her butt but it's not sexual it's just like innocent and it's just a really sweet scene of just like adults being or well uh adult being a kid and then a kid being an adult being a kid and it feels like that trampoline scene and, you know, you mentioning the amusement park is kind of, I feel like the, the relationship he wants to have with that blonde side pony, like he just wants to have that trampoline bouncing, just pure fun, kind of feels like he's, we don't really see him as a kid too much, but it sort of feels like he's too naive that even if he got that girl who's now dating the boy who drives, like if they were in a relationship, I feel like he wouldn't know what to do. And I feel like the 
trampoline scene is just such a beautiful representation of who he is and really kind of all he wants in this world. Yeah, and I love that moment because he's not even, sex isn't even on his mind, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, when she says sleep over, like, it's it's played so great, especially, like, the first couple of times you see it because of how innocent he is or, you know, just the, the state of mind that he is. He thinks they're just going to have a sleepover, you know? But to her, spend the night means something totally different. And then he brings out, like, you know... She, she's kind of like there's a lot more of Susan in the extended cut and you see like she has a lot more troubles going on and she is fleshed out maybe too much more but I like how he sort of starts you know showing her how to have fun again like you know have you could be childlike without being childish and get away with it you know you, there's a certain way to do it and you can see her get like just the way that she carries herself and the way that she dresses becomes more childlike by the end of the movie right like she's mm-hmm. not in this rigid not essentially like, you know the, the the equivalent of like a button down and like you know a really tight ponytail and everything like that like she becomes more freewheeling and easygoing and everything like that. I do have to say, though, when they actually do finally have sex, that's got to be, like, the most unsatisfying sex of all time, right? (laughs) It was definitely unsettling, because I don't want to know that 13-year-olds fuck. (laughs) So I'm glad it was very brief, and you just see him, like, walking around, like, proud the next day, but I was like, oh, geez, this, all right, I guess they had to address it. I had always remembered this movie as him being at least 15, so, and I, and I had not seen this movie for a few years, and, you know, so many movies since, and so when 13 came up again, I was like, oh, and I think they make a, a pretty okay joke about that at the end where she's like, where she finally realizes that he was a kid and she says, well, you were like 15 or 16, right? And he says, no, it's 13. She's like, oh, that makes sense. Like, oh, I understand like a lot more about what was going on these last few weeks. But Mike, what about you? What was your favorite part? Was your favorite thing something that was not in the original cut that was in the extended cut? Or is your favorite something that you've known and you've seen for years and years and years? So it's funny you should say that. I didn't think you'd ask in that way, but there's one scene in the extended cut that is really great and came close to being like a new favorite moment. And they go, it's when they go like tuxedo shopping. They actually go to like a shop and like <laughs> like really bother the guy working there. He's getting Ajna and everything. And they're trying on and looking at like all these different crazy outfits and everything. And he finally settles on the one that he wears. That was like a real, I really did enjoy that deleted scene and non-extended scene. But I have to, Definitely, I just gotta go with FAO Schwartz. I mean, ever since the first time I saw this, like I, I had been, I was to FAO Schwartz as a little kid. I was like, you know, huge into toys at this age. I guess I was like nine when I saw this, right? So, you know, I was still playing with toys and stuff, action figures. So like him running around FAO Schwartz, like acting like a kid playing with that other guy and stuff and then running into his boss and then that that amazing scene on the uh, piano which is just movie history now it's just so well done and uh I, this this time i gotta give it up for robert loja man that guy is yeah. jumping around doing it like totally keeping up with hanks in that sequence so i still think that holds up incredibly well and should be you know on like tons of best of clips till the end of time i mean it's uh to use brian's word an iconic scene to the point where like they parody it essentially in or not even parody they just pay homage to it in the night before right the new the new night before not the original Keanu Reeves and Becky before she was a criminal movie no and they also uh pay a very quick homage to it in Shazam which is sort of a riff on this whole premise where a little boy becomes a big adult with but he's got superpowers so he like fights through a mall at one point and steps on the piano and does a little chopsticks or something you know i think my favorite moment in this movie and i think it was the the moment where like i knew that tom hanks was good in this movie and i realized later that he had been nominated for an academy award but the first night he spends in saint james hotel it's religious it's fine where he's trembling on the bed like just absolutely terrified that either he's going to get killed or mugged or whatever. I don't know what is going through his 13-year-old boy in a grown man's head, but he is pulling that off in a great way. And it is, like, amazing to see just the way that he captures the fear of a boy. Like, I mean, not that any of us would really be, like, much braver in that situation, but the way that he captures a 13-year-old on his own, alone, in a place where he could get killed is really, really well done. Yeah, I mean, that's probably, like, one of the first nights he's ever spent away from home. That is, like, the first night. I think this kind of gets into a little bit of my favorite character in the entire movie, which is his dirtbag friend, Billy, who knows what's (laughs) up, and for whatever reason handles the fact that his buddy is now, like, an old man. Like, he just, like, has a a, a plan for the situation. He's just like, yeah, I know this hotel in downtown. Do you want to go check it out? Like, he just knows exactly what's up, like, as if he's plan for the exact scenario and how he like steals a bunch of money and like i almost wondered once or twice this time around because nowadays especially while doing this podcast
podcast and trying to like keep screenings fresh. Can a character actually just be a figment of another character's imagination? <laughs> uh, Fight Club and Billy comes so damn close, so freaking close. If he doesn't have like that one conversation with Josh's mom, if he doesn't show up like and get made fun of at school, and then at the end when he doesn't run into the girlfriend, I feel like it yeah. almost works. But I love Billy because I love like the contrast. Like he is an adult. He's already like yeah fine taking care of everything and all that he's like the one in the front group who found cigarettes first like that's just he's it's a great character that everybody knows in some way shape or form what i actually really appreciated about this movie is that hanks goes to his mom very quickly and is just like hey it's me and she freaks out but i was like i wonder how that's gonna be handled and i was i appreciated it didn't wait for a while it's like well let's just see if this works and it doesn't and then that's when he goes to billy and billy's like oh yeah like you know the song only my only my best friend knows the song you gotta be my best friend and then from there on it's just like smooth sailing for the two of them but i liked that the movie didn't really wait to see the the hank's mom interaction but what i was confused about is how like the whole kidnapping plot or whatever just sort of gets dropped yeah that would absolutely gain national attention because not only does he go missing a man barges into her house giving all these answers and then runs out and isn't seen again like i feel you would absolutely it wouldn't just be dropped like he would be on like america's most wanted yeah sure i mean he would also be all over nancy grace i can tell you that much yes yes yeah, so, so those kind of shows if it were made today, by the time that he ends up returning to his family, there will be an original Netflix true crime miniseries about the disappearance. <laughs> yeah, there's like one joke in this where uh, they're like, who, who is Josh Baskin? Where does he come from? And they're drinking milk and his face is on the milk yeah. carton, right? And that yeah. is like mm-hmm. so old school. Like, I don't know if they still do that, but that's the only time they do it is like to, as a joke, he calls his mom. That is a very strange scene, even today, where it's like, you know, he's pretending to be his own kidnapper instead of like still trying to convince her of the truth and Billy's not talking to her. It feels a little mishandled but then again when you were like well they should flesh this out more you don't want to see what they do with it in the extended cut like there's really no way to make that work much better so i feel like they do their best mm-hmm. by just sort of moving on and trying to like not get too involved with it as much as possible and i think that's my least favorite part of the movie it's just because it i think it naturally becomes part of the story but they don't know how to continue it and i feel like for an academy award nominated screenplay it feels like kind of a glaring hole i just don't know like, I don't know how you, you weave that in. But, like, what do you want? Do you want him, like, running around town like John Valjean? Like, like no. Like, <laughs> you, he, he's just, like, at a certain point, you need a reason for him to stay away from home and have to stay in the crappy flop house and get a job. Like, other than that, yeah. I just think we need, like, one scene where the mom's like, all right, I'm, I'm okay with my kid getting, being missing. Or, like, I don't, like, just some, like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what I want, but I want something. Well, even, even he writes to her, because, so it's not like he disappears and, like, she's, like, he's dead. Like, he's, I guess, taunting her in a way by in his mind letting her know he's okay but like i want to see her like 20 pounds slender like dark circles chain smoking like everybody else in this film just horrified that her son has been kidnapped by a random man yeah like he's gonna have so much explaining to do when he gets home like he never (laughs) even thought of working on this lie or who took him or why or what he's been up to like you know i mean we're not supposed to be thinking about this kind of stuff but it's fun to try and to see like what is it trying to accomplish with that that again this is a movie that like outwardly has one obviously messed up thing about it but then like when you keep on peeling away the onion you keep on getting more weird like the only reason that he needs to wait like three months to find out how he can get back home is because apparently the only solution that they thought of to find this machine was to call the government bureaucracy at its finest yeah Yeah, they go to like the hall of records they just go to the government they just say (laughs) hey where's this machine and they're just like yes we've got some we've got a man on that it'll take a month they've got top men on the job Holly, what about you? Do you have a do you have a least favorite part about Big? What what, what about this didn't work for you? That's a good question. I mean, you can ju- you, it can be the fact that a thirty five year old woman has sex with a thirteen year old boy. Like that's a perfectly acceptable answer. <laughs> um, no, I mean the only like I can't really think of anything because a lot of just where it felt awkward were actual moments where like you know when he first hops on the piano and his boss is like okay like give it up but he keeps going. And then in him keeping going, we all, like, celebrate the joy of, like, you know, innocence and youth. And and that turns itself around. And even in the scene where he's eating all the vegetables and putting them back down, or he, like, eats the weird baby corn just for way too long with his teeth. Like, kids do weird, dumb shit. So, So just, like, 
it, it, there wasn't anything I liked. There were just moments where I was like, this is awkward. But then I'm like, oh, this is an authentic portrayal of like a 13 year old boy who has zero self-awareness. <laughs> I don't know if there was anything that I actually really disliked other than, yeah, when you peel away those layers and you think about, okay, well, when he returns home and the year, countless years of therapy he's going to be in to try to get like information. <laughs> As to why he's missing and why he's not talking and why he's making up this weird I was an adult story. And then, you know, even what comes of his sexuality for sleeping with an older woman at 13. Yeah. But, you know, that's like, that's beyond it. You said earlier that you're bad at movies. Is this a movie do you think, would you watch this movie again? I think I would. Um, yeah, like this was, so, if this was on TV, I would stop flipping through channels. I would leave this on. Because I do think that there's a real benefit to the theatrical cut where it does sort of fly by. Right. Like, you know, Mike and I have been sort of alluding at it, but there's so much just build up and then sort of like, I feel like kind of the middle of the bell curve is sort of the same, right? Like, like the, a lot of the middle mm-hmm. is kind of very similar, but it's just the beginning and the end are just like, oh boy, this is get, this is taking a while to get going. So much so that like after I watched the extended and I put the theatrical on, it's like the movie can't wait to get to Tom Hanks. It's like, oh, six minutes? Cool, time to go big. The extended is like probably, what, 15 minutes? Like there's so much early on and stuff at the end. But I feel like the breeziness of the short, like, hour 40 theatrical cut is, like, it's exactly the kind of movie, Holly, that, like, if you're flipping through channels, you stop on because there's something that you know and remember and is charming to some extent or another, like, in every scene. Even in the meeting when, you know, he's like, well why are we making a building? Why are we making a transformer? Like he just has all these genuine moments that then lead to other things. Like even in the relationship when he first starts it, but it is just sweet. And even all like the further scenes, like I thought he was going to get accidentally drunk on scotch at the party. He doesn't, he just wears like a, a tuxedo. And as they go along, like she drinks wine, but he's still just drinking soda and eating pizza. So like he never becomes corrupted, which was also like really sweet. Like I thought for sure, like something really awful was going to happen to him, but no, he just like keeps gaining these success and could actually, I guess, make it as a 35-year-old man, maybe. On this point, like, I don't think that a longer version of this works, because I checked, and, like, I had a terrifying realization while watching the film. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but did you know that Big literally subscribes to point-by-point Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey? Does it really? (laughs) Yes, it does. There's supernatural aid, a call to adventure. He crosses the first threshold with the help of a mentor. Uh, He eventually (laughs) makes the second threshold, which is he's promoted. He then refuses the return, and then he's rescued from without. And then again, he decides to sacrifice himself and cross back. There's a climax, and then he returns to where he started again, knowing more of the world and its inhabitants. No joke, Big legitimately ascribes directly to The Hero's Journey by (laughs) Joseph Campbell. Well, Walt, what you don't know is that the extended cut adheres to the unedited, the unabridged version of The Hero's Journey, which includes some stopovers here and there, and some (laughs) times the hotel. It's the first draft of The Hero's Journey. I'm curious to hear more about this extended version, because it definitely sounds like there's some scenes that you guys either didn't like or thought were too long, and I want to hear what those are. Yeah, so this is definitely, you know, I'm going to use this as my least favorite part of the movie is, uh, you know, I I went and turned this on last night at midnight, and and I text Joey, I was like, two hours and ten minutes? I was like, what the (laughs) hell is happening? So hold on, wait, wait, wait. So let's let's take a step back. So Walt, I'm sure you know this, and Holly, you might know this too, but yesterday, Mike and fellow host of the podcast network, Brian Rodriguez, came over, and Brian, being a New York City resident, brought some nutcrackers for us to celebrate the summer season. Sure. And so Mike had a nutcracker. We all had nutcrackers, but Mike was like, oh no. And I was was like, Mike, how (laughs) fucked up did the nutcrackers get you that you think this movie is wildly longer than it is? Because I looked it up on IMDb, I looked it up on Letterboxd, I was like, 104 minutes, easy breezy, in and out. And then Mike's like, it's two and a half hours? I was like, what? I was like, hold Mike, how much much nutcracker did you drink? Okay, nutcracker meaning like the Coney Island drink? Yes, mm-hmm. Okay, because for like the first 40 seconds, I was like, why a nutcracker? Like the Christmas things? What? Is this like a new drug? Like what? And then I remember. It basically is a new drug. It, yeah. It kind of, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was heavy for me, who was not a heavy drinker, but uh, it kicked my ass yesterday. And like, I ended up coming home and like passing out for a couple hours, waking <laughs> up and then being like sober and being, I got to do something. So I, I was like, I'm going to watch big. Uh, and that's what was so shocking was to find out that that's when I knew there is an extended cut. Uh, So I rolled the dice and I was like, I'll watch this one. At least I'll watch it first. And my biggest takeaway from it is it's not a comedy anymore. It's It's like a heavy drama now. Really? Yeah. Like it feels devoid of joy for most of it as far as I'm concerned. Maybe I'm just so used to the theatrical cut and so familiar with it, but it uses like alternate takes, extended sequences, just little bits here and there that really 
just kind of feel more redundant than anything else. It really doesn't seem to help flesh anything out that I needed to know, you know, and more or less just seemed like, well, we shot everything that was in the script and now we're just going to whittle it down to the best bits and this cut just seemed like maybe someone was like maybe they just reinserted deleted scenes or something but as far as i'm concerned it was it did not work it was tough to watch and i feel like there's not really i mean i'm also not as familiar i mean i said before i don't know if i've ever seen the original cut from start to finish before ever actually because i saw the first like half of it before we started recording but i don't think there's any scene in here that like doesn't really work on its own i feel like it's the the accumulation the culmination of all of it added together that really kind of just makes it feel long and sort of heavy and mm-hmm. more dramatic like you're right like it's there's just so much like hey you know that comedy you like you want to know the backstory well not really i mean like maybe but like i don't need to yeah and we're away from josh for way too long as well like we spend a lot of time with susan we spend a, more time with loja like there's more like office characters sort of fleshed out a little more there and that's not good like we can't be away from hanks for too long you know or else start wondering where he He's at and like right. get disconnected. Like the more flesh there is on John Levitt's, the worse the movie is. And I was surprised, like, you know, I was like, okay, let me get a Robert Loja backstory here, but we don't really like he talks about creating some kind of duck toy and instead I, I was hoping to get maybe, you know, he had like some kid or a son or something that he hadn't talked to in years, and that's why Josh was like maybe a, a son to him or he was treating him in, in a certain way, giving him favoritism mm. or something, but none of that. What what about you? Did you did you say your least favorite moment, Walt? My least favorite favorite moment. I was pretty up on it. Like, I enjoyed the movie a lot. I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought that, like, again, like, it's one of those fun movies where, like, it's a good movie. You enjoy watching it. If you think about it for more than 30 seconds, it is, uh, it, it, like, gets really interesting to kind of tear apart. But I, I really did, I think it was wholesome and fun, and I liked it a lot. I liked his apartment a lot. I'm trying to think of something that I didn't like about it. I don't know. I think that, in general... I think that it's a pretty well-constructed movie, and I don't really have too many problems with it beyond, like, the obvious. I guess one... So, it's one of those situations where, like, the so the big... The, his creative peak, the, his greatest success is coming up with this idea for a vaguely interactive comic book. So he basically came up with the idea of, of a Kindle that does choose-your-own-text adventures. And then you have to... And then it's, like, freemium content on top of it where you need to buy new stories for it. And, like, knowing where freemium content goes, He's the greatest villain in the history of toys. <laughs> I have to say, he is the the, the grandfather of the loot box and, and the, the pay to play and the, you have to DLC the bonus stuff. Like Tom Hanks and Big is frankly as as the inventor of DLC. Frankly, the J. Robert Oppenheimer of his time. <laughs> well, she calls him a genius in that scene several times. She's like, that's all she could say. You're a genius. You're a genius. You're a genius. I'm like evil genius. Yeah, he's propelled to read from the Bhagavad Gita, I am death, destroyer of worlds. Like, you won't be able to enjoy <laughs> video games anymore. You need to buy an extra DLC to get it. So yeah, um, mm-hmm. I don't know about that. Uh, but I got on that because I think that, like, it's one of the situations where if you come up with, like, a product or a joke in a movie that's like, oh, this is the funniest joke or the best... Oh, song. Song's a great example. Like, the song in Rent, which is like, oh, this is my one greatest song. This is the greatest thing I'll ever do. And it's, like, kind of the worst song in Rent. It's like this, <laughs> where, like, he's such a genius. He came up with the best toy. And, like, clearly like they're not toy designers so they didn't come up with like the lego so i, I always thought it was funny it was just like yes this is it this is the brass ring and it's kind of a bad idea for a toy i also can't believe that they're selling that like essentially you know choose your own adventure tablet of sorts for 18 dollars. that feels wildly inexpensive Oh, it was 1988. That, yeah. that kind of feels about right. That's probably like around like the $50, $60 range, maybe. No, and... no way. Hold on. 1988, $20. Well, I'm telling you, that's what it felt like as a nine-year-old kid if you had 20 bucks in your pocket. like $43. It's about two times as much. Yeah, it's about double inflation. Um, but I think that's a great bargain, you know? If you only need to buy the main unit once, right? It's like a Game Boy, and then you just keep buying little additional storylines and stuff and switching them out it's the same reason that printers are so cheap but printers inc that's where they get you the initial storybook cheap as heck but all the dlc items that's where that's where it starts adding up you know Ugh, hanks is truly a monster he's the worst you know when he left like they totally went with this idea anyway they're like this is too good to be true like i don't care if he comes back i don't care if he was 12 like we're going with it again peeling back the onion you have a star employee who has like really charmed the company He walks out of a meeting excusing himself and never comes back. Never to be seen again. 
And it makes me wonder, too, when he has to corroborate his story, is he going to go and try and find Susan? Like, are the cops knocking on her door, but like, like, in a week or so? No, because if this is an office environment, what do they do? They file a police report, like, hey, Josh hasn't shown up to work for three days. And then how do they explain that a 13-year-old boy that's been missing for months, like, see? This is the great part. Like, this is where we're getting into the real breakdown of it, because the idea is that they would be implicated in the kidnapping of this kid. I like that there are two Josh Baskin missing persons cases. Yeah. I want to see the cop story where there's like a Pepe <laughs> Silvia style where the guy's like, I got Josh Baskin missing over here, yeah. and I got Josh Baskin missing over here, and I think they're connected, but I don't know how. And then there's like all sorts of string and everything, and then there's the madness where he says, these are the same person, and no one believes him. And then it's this guy down on his luck and losing his mind and trying to prove to the world that these are the same boy, the same man, and he cannot do it, and then he goes insane. And then he meets Josh Baskin. He's like, oh yeah, that was me the whole time. And and then that's like his 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 denouement. Yeah, he was a cop with everything on the line. Just two days left till retirement until the Zoltar <laughs> machine came in. God damn you, Zoltar! Big two. Book it. Whew, boy. Two, two connections, two Hanks connections, Mike. Number one, when he is playing early in the movie, whatever that ice game is, I was like, is this Mazes and Monsters, the video game? Ooh, Pardu, a holy man. Check it out. Right? I love and then that. also, we were talking before that when he goes in the extended cut to that tuxedo shop, it reminded me in reverse of the very first Tom Hanks movie, yep. He Knows You're Alone, the wedding dress shop <laughs> run by the guy just chomping, smoking cigars the entire time, stinking up all the dresses. I thought the exact same thing. It made me so happy happy that they that that's my that's the one scene in all of you know aside from when hanks gets big i actually kind of quite enjoy we get a little bit of billy's home life and see how crazy that is um we get a little more of uh josh's home life but when he becomes hanks just no more extra stuff except the tuxedo shop that was really funny that was a lot of good energy and there's also one sort of future hanks connection in that both the, the the movie of the summer toy story 4 also takes place in an amusement park like the big action scenes are in an amusement park and i was also realizing jordan peele in toy story for Jordan Peele, us, like he's got a lot of amusement park things going on this year too. Like, I don't know, are amusement parks like Walt? Do you have any numbers to crunch from Numlock News? Like, are, mm. are amusement parks are they big business right now? I think that like Toy Story is an amusement park because after Coco, they really revolutionized the way that they can do lights. And amusement parks inherently look good on film because of the exciting lighting going on in the background. And I think that they were kind of trying to show off a little bit with Toy Story Four because after they did the Coco, like the Coco tech is that you could have like seven million lights on one screen and then how to how to square that circle right and that is what a carnival is right like having all the lights interact in different ways so i think that that was just kind of them flexing um as for jordan peele and us i I don't know i think that he said somewhere in an interview about why he did it by the boardwalk at like where places like at the shore where places meet was a fun idea but uh i i love it i i think it's a great mood for summer Uh, i think that summer boardwalks are always fun Yeah, and it's carnival season, you know? Like, there's been so many carnivals, like, in my area over the last Mm -hmm. few weeks and all that kind of stuff. Um, But, Joey, there's also another connection. Uh, There's sort of like a twofer. Oh, yeah? They play a lot of, like, stickball in this movie, you know, a lot of baseball yes. stuff. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Hanks is going to be playing, or at least he's going to be coaching oh. a lot of baseball soon. Mm. And not only that, but also with Penny Marshall at the helm. Very cool. We also mentioned it earlier, we never called specific attention. I think this is the second time, maybe, that we have young Tom Hanks after Splash. Oh, right, right. Or do we have it again? Do we have young Hanks in Dragnet? No. No. I like, uh, this kid looks a lot like Hanks. Like, I think they yeah. did a good job. I think he was wearing contacts to change his eyes to make him look more mm-hmm. like actual Tom Hanks. So here are, here's a rundown of the actors who were considered for this. So this is basically like the everyone in Hollywood type of thing, where uh, apparently no one wanted, no one cared about this script until Robert De Niro took an interest. What? He wanted $6 million, and they were like, we can't do that. <laughs> But they were like, we can't pay him $6 million. But because he was interested in it, everyone else sort of got interested. So here's a list of people. Before you go down the list, can I just name while watching it this time? Because I never considered anyone else in this role. But watching it this time, one name came to mind and I think would have killed it. Eddie Murphy. I just think Eddie Murphy would have been pretty amazing as this character. So these are all white guys, so there is no creativity there. Deborah Winger turned down the part, or she was offered the, the Susan role. She turned down the role. But she had asked Penny Marshall, would you ever consider doing a gender swap and have the, a little girl become big? And she said, and Penny Marshall said, no, because I can't imagine a world that is okay where a 35-year-old man is essentially having sex with a 13-year-old girl Got in, it. in yep. an adult woman's body. Compelling point, Penny. Shout out Penny Marshall for having sensibility there. But okay, here are the names of people who were considered or wanted 
did or turned it down or couldn't do it or conflicts or whatever. John Travolta, who apparently was like one of the first choices, but he was box office poison. So this was before Look Who's Talking. So before Amy Heckerling revived him, right? Yeah, forget about Tarantino. Amy Heckerling revived him. Harrison Ford, which would have been crazy. Mm. Dennis Quaid, Steve Gutenberg, Albert <laughs> Brooks, Judge Reinhold, Michael Keaton. Hold on. Hold on. You're going a little too fast. I know, but I just got to... There's so many. There's so many, Mike. Bill Murray, Robin Williams, John Goodman, and Jeff Bridges. Wow. Pretty cool. I mean, it's not like Jeff Bridges was Jeff Bridges today. I mean, he had been doing stuff and been doing great work and stuff, but that would have been really weird to see that Jeff. Like, Dennis Quaid makes sense, too. He seems really safe. I mean, he was really good at interspace around this time and everything. Martin Short, is he on the list? He would have been great, too, but I don't know. No, he wasn't. Okay. Apparently Tom Hanks was also cast at one point and then thought he couldn't do it because of conflicts with Dragnet and Punchline. Mm -hmm. So one that we did already, and I think the next movie we're doing, De Niro dropped out or something like that, and he was able to do it. And so they had cast the kid, what's his name? David Moscow, who is the young Josh, young Tom Hanks. But they had, I guess, fired him because he didn't look like De Niro. But then when Hanks <laughs> took back over, they rehired him. So what a, what a roller coaster. Oh, that's funny. And the only other trivia that I have, I think, is that the Shimmy Shimmy Cocoa Pop rap and the him eating the baby corn were both Tom Hanks ideas, that he wrote the lyrics to that rap and he improvised the corn eating. And I think this might be our first... What's his name? Chet? Is Chet Hanks the rapping son of Tom oh, Hanks? that's right. Oh, God, no. Apparently, I don't know if this is Colin or this is Chet, but he said that he heard his... When his son went to summer camp, he learned a song like this, and so Tom Hanks wrote lyrics that were sort of reminiscent of that. So I don't know if that's, you know, a young rapping Chet Hanks soon to be saying the N-word and getting everybody upset at him. <laughs> that's what it reminded me of, you know, like a summer camp kind of secret, yeah, handshake kind of thing that just, you know... When you're at camp and you just have like all day to figure it out and like it just goes on and on and on so yeah holly we got a couple games to play but before we uh play the games is there anything else you want to say about big anything that you you know loved or hated or wanted to make note of no i just i really liked it so there's a lot of times where people are like oh you got to go back and watch this movie from the 80s and i do and i'm like why did we all get <laughs> hyped up about this this was something that i watched and i authentically joined and i was like oh wow this movie's like 30 years old and it's still charming that being said i absolutely don't think it's a movie that could be made in this day and age, which was interesting to think of. Two things. A, I don't think it could be made in 2019 and have anybody feel comfortable. B, this is absolutely a movie where you couldn't do a gender swap version of it because it would just be horrifically creepy. So really, it's it's locked into casting those genders, those roles having been made in the time that it was. So at least we can say that we never have to, you know, expect a remake of this because I just don't think it would ever uh, go over be greenlit yeah i don't know i think that they would do it i think that they would just cut it like i think that they would just recut the script a little bit to remove any component of sexuality in it and i think that it like could legitimately work you know i wonder if because of that fear like whether they have tried it and doesn't work or whether they just don't want to touch it or whatever like i wonder if that's why we're getting the reverse like if that's why we're getting little instead of big like i wonder if they're mm. like it's easier to take an adult although they're also like there's weird sexualization there like in the trailer at least i haven't seen little but when she gets little and she's like hitting on her teacher it's like well that's kind of creepy too is it little a freaky friday situation where it's like a relationship between the two people no, it's just oh. the uh, the older woman gets turned into a little girl. Yeah, it's literally like reverse big. A classic reverse big situation. <laughs> but like, if I recall right, like in movies, you know, like father, like son and those kinds of things, when, when the dad and the son did switch parts, like it was very hard to uh, ignore like sexual content. Like there was always a scene where like the dad's girlfriend tried to have sex with him and didn't know it was the son so uh like it's hard to know like if they'd even want to try it without that con you know if they're just like well we can't have them doing it so like why even bother but like it would yeah. be nice if they tried either way again that is one of four or five things where if you think about big too hard it, you should stop thinking like, <laughs> like not the least of which is that this is not the last time that Tom Hanks is involved in the toy industry. What if Tom Hanks is his own god? What if Tom Hanks Ooh, created... What if oh. what if Woody was created by the McCallum Toy Company, and, and therefore Tom's in an act of divine uh, autogenesis managed to manifest himself in... A, I don't want to think... See, don't scratch at stuff. That's a mistake. I feel like this is the kind of thing where, like, you see the... Like, you watch a Toy Story movie, then, like, three years later, they announce a new Pixar movie, and it's like, well, if you remember, back... Like, they panned across the floor, and you saw the toy there, like, it was there in front of our eyes the whole time. Yeah. It's like it's like you watch Big very slowly. And there's just like a cowboy hat and a, a yellow ball with a red star on it. And there's like a slinky dog. It's like, oh no, it's all coming true. 
Walt, any other thoughts about this before we uh, play the games that you know that we play? No. Um, I thought, it, again, like, I think that the real star of the movie for me is Billy, the vaguely mature friend who manages to guide a grown-ass man through being a grown-ass man just by virtue of being willing to steal and go to CD hotels and stuff. I think that he is a perfect character, and if they ever made a spin-off of him, I think that that would be the way to go. And I don't think that they that kid really did anything else much past this. Like, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I think he's in that. Yeah, and he's in Overboard with uh, Goldie and Kurt Russell, but like he's only in like a handful of movies. Like this this Jared Rushton kid should have been in everything. Could have been a star. Mike, what about you? Any other thoughts about Big? Just want to say, watch the theatrical cut. Uh, <laughs> yeah, totally forget about this extended thing. Like maybe if you want to see the scenes, go on YouTube if you have an extra 20 minutes and just watch them as deleted scenes because integrated back into the film, it, it really does nothing. Uh, it detracted for me, to be quite honest. Like like I said earlier, it, it turned it from like a comedy, a nice quick comedy into a slow drawn out drama that uh, I didn't really want to get like too deep into you know like we've been talking about don't want to think about big too too hard or too long just enjoy its fun easy breeziness and you know get in and out of there and it is remarkable how well it still plays and stuff and it's also really cool like Holly was saying how like it's locked in that own time that it was made like it's sort of like a movie that could only be done then and all that kind of thing so there's like a certain kind of kismet that was like going on here that you can kind of feel the energy and everything and so I I really like that. I've got two things we can play the game. Number one, I think that what Holly was saying about how it holds up, like I think that's something that is not true of a lot of 80s Hanks movies. Like Holly, what we've learned going through these again through the early, you know, the mid-80s, like what Walt, I think, was sort of saying earlier, like, this is like a horny Hanks period. Like, a lot of these are problematic and troubling in the way that a lot of classic 80s movies are, that it's not great uh, looking at it with 2019 eyes. This one has some questionable parts, but I think for the most part, holds up. The more important thing, though, Mike, knowing my Fast and Furious allegiance, is that when <laughs> Hanks is in the limo and he goes to the moonroof, he says, ejector seat. And I was like, ejecto seat, cuz. Um, so a little <laughs> bit of shout out to Roman Pierce, uh, Barstow. There we go. Now, Holly, I don't know if you've listened to any of our episodes of the Tom Tom Club, but we're alternating Tom Cruise and Tom Hanks movies, as I'm sure you know. And so we wonder every episode if Tom Cruise was cast in the role of Josh. If he was in the Tom Hanks part in this movie, what would that movie be like? Or, if that's so crazy to think about, what other role, what other part in this movie could he play that would work better for Tom Cruise? We'll let you go first if you have an idea. If you want to think about it a little bit, we can we can spread it around. No, because my initial thought was if this was Tom Cruise in this movie, I would have turned it off five minutes in. <laughs> Oof. And I would have been the odd man out on this podcast, as I um, have am known to have done. Mad Holly Gore. <laughs> Mad Holly Gore. I know, we're all in agreement for the first time in a little while, I think. This is a nice change of pace, yeah. Yeah, I think he could have played jerky business guy Tom Hanks is up against, especially in the scene where they go and they play racquetball, I think it is, outside, and then he takes the ball and he's like, you're cheating, and refuses to give it back. I think he would have been a really good person to play sure. that scene against. But I just, I don't, I too, this is a bit of a personal bias. I am not inclined to like Tom Cruise, so I really can only see him excelling in an adversarial role in which I can be okay with it. I, I don't want to cheer for him. I don't want to be endeared by him. So yeah, that's my two cents. I'm going to say that if he was in the role, he would have fucked Elizabeth Perkins way faster. <laughs> like, I just think that that would, that would have been like a slam dunk. I'm just like, hey, let's, let's get it done. But I agree with you. I think that he would have played the John Hurd role really well. Dad from Home Alone having a big big time in 1980s and the in late 80s there. I think he probably could have done it. I don't know if there would have been like the childlike glee and joy that no. Tom Hanks brings to it. I think he probably could have. And I think that, Mike, this might be one of the first times where it's like, he might not actually be as good as Hanks. There's a lot of the roles that we've seen mm. so far he could do, but I feel like this one might be, we might be starting to sort of see the kind of role that Tom Hanks is, you know, known for. And I'm not yeah. sure, but I think, I think I agree with Holly that he could have played the John Hurd role well, or... If he was Josh, he would have uh, had sex with Elizabeth Perkins way sooner. Tom Cruise emerged fully formed from the womb, age 16, and, like, dripping with, with, with like, like, you know, like, he, he's never had innocence. Like, I think that that's the, like, he's never had a male ingenue kind of vibe, and I think that that's just a thing that is not in his repertoire. He plays worldly very well, he plays, like, savvy very well, but I don't think that he plays, like, 
innocent or childlike or out of his depth kind of well. I think that like his core competency is his competency. Like I think that he's good at playing competent characters, whereas Hanks has I think the uh, the wherewithal to kind of give it up a little bit and cede a little bit of power and control to those around him. So I don't know. I think that that's a really really good question, and I just do not think that Tom Cruise is a like capable of doing this because I do not think that Tom Cruise was ever a child. Yeah. I th- yeah, I, I agree. I can't imagine him as a little kid. Yeah, spot on. Um, Mike, what about you? Do you do you uh, do you think he could have played this, or would it be the John Hurd role, or would it be something else? Okay, so bear with me because I'm going to get a little nuts here. I have a crazy idea: Tom Cruise as Big Billy. I was just thinking, yeah, like the bigs, like <laughs> yeah. two, they both get big. They yeah. both get, like, Billy finds the Zoltar and gets big and shows up one day and is like, I'm big too. And it's big T-O-O, big yeah. two. No, that would be perfect. <laughs> Holy crap. And you got Hanks and Cruz Love it. just bigging it up in the big city. Though I don't know, big two already exists in that case. Because what was that movie where he runs drugs in and out of Columbia? That's just what Billy would do if he were big. <laughs> American made. American yeah. made is big too. American right. made is legally speaking big too. It's what would happen if Billy got big. <laughs> I love it. Now, Holly, one other very important question here. Pretend for a second that you, in 2019, you as you are today, got transported back in time. You want to walk on role in the movie Big. What scene are you putting yourself in? Like a cameo kind of role, maybe a couple lines. You're not like replacing anyone in the in the cast but you're just here or there saying something doing something what scene do you want to be a part of i think definitely part of the office okay just like when he's playing like one of his co-workers that thinks like oh this is the weird guy in the office but he's fun so some kind of fun interactive scene where maybe i shoot him back with the nerf gun or i duck and roll and i make a comment being like that new guy's a real breath of fresh air and like you know (laughs) (laughs) i feel like there's a real lack of playfulness like people like when he's like on i mean i guess it would be annoying and i understand where they're coming from but as he's like riding me you know the scooter down the hall or like there's like the rc car or whatever everything you hear is like hey guy this is an office like let's calm down but like you make toys like i understand why it's an office <laughs> but i also feel like we need someone like you holly to be like i like this guy and just like you know playing games with him but you're the awful you're you know you're the successful businesswoman who is also at the same time you know having a little bit of fun at work like i would absolutely laugh if somebody like a co-worker ran a remote control car into somebody else's legs in the office because it's just it's goofy and it's funny and especially if you mutually don't like that person because they're a stick in the mud that's something to laugh at absolutely now, Walt, what about you? Where would you put yourself in this movie? This is a great question. So, like, I do want to, like, hop on that briefly. Like, I worked for Disney when I was at 538. And, like, Disney's just a company. Like, they have accounting departments that I don't think that everybody's trying to have a magical day. Like, I understand the appeal of, like, I just want to punch in and not have a phantasmagorical experience with the toy line that I'm creating. I, I understand that. At what role would I play if I were a bit part or a cameo? I have two in mind, either municipal employee working hard to find this machine, or Carney. I, w- I, would, I would also be a Carney. Ooh, ooh yeah. yeah. I think that there's a lot of room there for somebody of my talents, either municipal or pl- employee or Carney, or municipal employee moonlighting as a Carney. Because <laughs> really, I mean, when you come down to it, is there much of a difference? That's the thing. You get those bennies from nine to five, and then you get the real money at night. Like... Wait, I have a question. So this is maybe a question for, for Holly and Walt, because you're New York residents and I'm not. Is the address of, like, Seapoint Park or whatever, is that enough to get to a place? Because it feels like there's missing there's missing information. Like, it feels like if I was being told, that was like a, a logic puzzle in math, I would be like, there's not enough information here for me to figure out what I'm supposed to do. Like, is that an address? Or is, like, is that a place? Or is that not? So I've lived here for three years, and I still don't know if certain neighborhoods are real or if somebody (laughs) just made it up. So I'm not the best person to ask. Fair, fair. So so yes, I would need more information. Walt? Uh, Yeah, no, I mean, I I understand the same thing. I have a friend who's just moving to north-south Cobble Hill, which is actually just Cobble Hill, but like, what are you going to do? North-south Cobble Hill? Exactly, it's just Cobble Hill. But it sounds much more illustrious when there's directions involved, like East Williamsburg or West Elmhurst. I would say that that is good, but oftentimes not enough. Because like, if you told me, oh, I'm going to meet you at Astoria Park, that's not a huge place. And like, you would notice a carnival there, right? But if you said like, oh, I'm going to meet you in Central Park, you're kind of fucked. Or like, if it was like Queens Corona Park. Honestly, if you're trying to hunt down a carnival in New York City, it's not like really hard. Like, they're very loud. Like, you can smell the funnel cake. It sticks to you. It's it's not like very, it's not like hiding and they're not camouflaged. So I don't know necessarily what the damage was. Very fair. All right. 
So I, so I feel like there's not enough information. I think I think we're all going to collectively say not enough information there. Yeah. Mike, what about you? Where are you putting yourself in this movie? I'm going to really hide myself in this movie, and I'm going to be in the scene when him and Susan go to, I guess, Susan's friend's dinner party, and there's like... Susan and him, the friend and her husband, and then another couple. Like, I guess I'll be with another couple. You know, we'll just make room for me and my date at that table there. And the party will just be like a slightly bigger. You know, you only see me for a minute because that kid comes in and he and Hanks uh, gets up to help him and stuff. But, uh, you know, blink and you miss me. <laughs> All right. I like that. I'm going to put myself in a new role at the very end of the movie. Last scene, Elizabeth Bergen does her, her emotional farewell to Josh. And he's walking and like, you know, he walks from big to little. I'm going to be walking my dog and I'm going to be like, a dog I don't have, but a dog I have in the movie. And I'm going to be like, wait, what's happening? I'm going to be like, you know, comically rubbing my eyes. Like, I can't (laughs) believe what I'm seeing here. You witness him get small. Yeah. <laughs> like, no one believes you and you, like, lose your <laughs> You look at your flask and you shake your head and you throw it away. <laughs> yeah, and I connect with the detective from my earlier thing, and then the <laughs> two of us get together and try to figure out what the real story of this missing Josh guy is. That is, that's the real mystery. Okay, final important question of the night for everyone, and I don't know the answer to this. Does Tom Hanks do anything in this movie that sets him on the path to becoming America's dad. Well, he ages. Maybe that scene where he helps the kid with his algebra homework, right? Because the real dad wouldn't bother to get up from his party to help his own son. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, Hank sees a fellow 13-year-old in distress and goes to help him. I mean, granted, his character's 13. But, you know, still, Josh has something in him, right? That, like, when he grows up, it seems like he's going to be a pretty good dad one day. That's fair. What do you guys think? Walt Holly, do you think that he's yeah. doing anything here that gets him to, the, to becoming America's dad? I think that he gets his shit together pretty quick for a 13-year-old, you know? Like, he finds a job... He gets a job. He gets a promotion at the job. He gets an apartment. Is that how my apartment would look? No. Is that what a dad's apartment looks like? No. Is that the way that my apartment should look? Yes. I, I want my apartment to look like that. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that he does like like he 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 cleans up nice. I guess is what I would say in, in a way that is kind of typically unexpected. So yeah. Huh? Yeah, I was kind of stricken about how like responsible Josh becomes and almost forgets at the end that he was a kid at one point when Billy comes to tell him they found the machine. He's like, I got work to do. It's like, What's going? <laughs> on exactly is there a version of this movie where he stays an adult i don't know how you end the movie though i mean maybe he finds his old time machine puts the coin in and at the last second he like turns it over and like smashes it with a bat or something like really how was it i don't know how to conclude that but it, it would be interesting again uh, it's a joseph campbellian hero's journey you can't end the hero's journey while still in the abyss he must refuse the call and then take it once again yeah now i think that there's a world in which that happens i think that it's like in the extra super duper long director's cut in like the fucked up producer's cut that could be what happens very very fair so the final thing we're going to do here is we're going to nominate this film for the woodies our tom hanks <laughs> awards i'm going to say here best film yes because it is better than the money pit and that's the only nominee that we have there best hanks role yeah yeah right yeah yeah it's like his, his ultimate role right now right because i feel i truly feel like this is a culmination of everything he's been trying out and then he's like he found a way to make the best stuff work really well in this project yeah I mean, if you want something that's like again, this we mentioned this earlier, but you are right now in the in the prime rib of of Tom Hanks. Like <laughs> you are a couple years into it, you got a couple years at the end of it, but like this is gonna end. He's gonna try it again later. He's gonna try to be the, the, a sexy man when it comes to those angels and demons books, and you know what? It's not gonna work out. So now you need to treasure it. Now you need to, to hold it in your arms and enjoy the fact that Tom Hanks is a sexy person and, and has a sexual life and is a sexual organism. And uh, if you want the poster child for this era. I would suggest it's big. All right, yeah. Best ensemble? So far, we only have bosom buddies. Is is the collection around <laughs> him... I feel like not really, right? Like, it's not... There's, like, no, good performances, but no. I feel like the ensemble, the collective, is not quite... No, I feel like we got... Even though they weren't as good as... Like, these are good actors. Like, that's the thing. They're, they're better actors, but, like, you know, I feel like we got more recognizable faces and stuff like Bachelor Party as, like, a supporting cast, right? With, like, Adrian Zemed and Tony Katane and all them and stuff. Like, no, I mean, you know, it's close, but no cigar. No, I don't think they're, they're that great just because, like, they're they're good because Hanks makes them good in his interactions. But, I mean, even the first time you meet any of these characters, like, even when you meet the woman, she's, like, in the office being like, I need you to let me hire somebody else because this person I'm, I'm married is, like, an idiot woman who just is getting married and doodling her own name. Like, nobody's likable when you first meet them. It's through their interactions with Tom Hanks that you're like, oh, now I like this person. So I don't think it's a strong ensemble just... 
they are made good by him. I like that. That's I, I agree with everything you said there. Fast fight? There's not really a good fight in this movie, is there? Well, there's the racquetball or the... Oh, yeah, that's a pretty good fight. Does it stack up, Mike, with your uh, 3D fight in Bachelor Party? Oh, no way. No, uh, so far that for me is the bee's knees. Nothing's going to um, beat that. Sorry. <laughs> best dance scene, I'm going to say playing the piano in big. That's a dance scene. Yeah. Best party scene? Is there a party here? That office party. Okay. It's crazy. A tuxedo-clad office party. Um, or do we want to nominate that also for best Hank's outfit wardrobe? Yeah. yeah. Yes, absolutely. Like he's got a lot of great uh, shirts and pants and things like crazy combos. Like, he does not match until, like, you know, he gets a girlfriend <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> best death, he does not die. Best line, best freakout. Is there something he says here? Is there, like, a memorable line to Big? I want to be big, but that's not really... That's that's not a good line. There's no good lines in this movie. Which is, you know, for an Academy Award-nominated screenplay, have one cool line. Yeah, like, and he doesn't really... He only freaks out for a second at the end when he yells at Billy... But Billy, like, comes right back at him, and he's like, fuck you! And, yeah. like, drops the F-bomb. He's like, I'm still, like, a couple months older than you, asshole, or something. It's great. Best soundtrack theme? No. Here's an interesting one. Best or worst Hank's love story? Where, where does this Ooh. one fall? I would say the worst. This is probably the worst for everyone involved. Well, we've got five nominees now, Mike. Here we got Splash, Every Time We Say Goodbye, Bosom Buddies, Nothing in Common, and this movie. Oh, boy, yeah. I don't know. Did any of those involve like statutory? I don't think so. I think that this goes up there. Like it's definitely up there. It's between this and and the mermaid. I guess that's like half bestiality. When I, you know he's having fish sex. Yeah, but that's international waters, so it's not actually a crime. <laughs> Most badass role, no. And then, do we want to nominate either Elizabeth Perkins or the kid who plays Billy for best non-hangs actor, male or female? Is anybody? Do we feel strongly about them? Could they stack up with the rest of the who we're going to see in the rest of Tom Hanks' career? I don't think they stack up. I think that he's very good, but I don't think that he's like, like knowing what's to come. I think that they are not going to be that tier, you know? Yeah. I think, I mean, like, you know, what I say every time I think, Mike, is that, like, can they compete with, like, Tim Allen, for instance, as Buzz Lightyear? Like, you have to be on that level, and it's tough. It's tough because I, I, I definitely feel what Holly was saying, how, like, Hanks is really, you know, helping, not maybe not helping, but, like, his presence, I feel, is, like, making their other performances stronger mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Like, I like Elizabeth Perkins is like, doing here, but, like, you know, when they tried to flesh it out in those extra scenes, it was just dismal and horrible and, like, depressing and stuff. And so, like, while she's, like, you know, this successful corporate woman, you know, and all this stuff, and, you know, she she's with who she wants, no one's holding her down, all this kind of stuff, like, I just wish there was, like, a little more power to this performance because it's such a really interesting role. I love this category that you guys have, and, like, I haven't been on a week, because, again, like, I really love these, like, offbeat movies, and this is probably the most mainstream movie I've done with you guys of any of these, you know, groups, but, like, I love this question, but, like, every time I hear it, I'm just like, ah, you're waiting for Sinise. This is gonna go to a Gary Sinise role. Like, like <laughs> it'll come, but, like, I just don't think that that's the bar, and, and I don't know if it's gonna make it, you know? I, yeah, no, yeah. You're, you're right. Like, he's hanging, like, Hanks is hanging with, like, Dan Aykroyd while Cruz is hanging with Dustin Hoffman and stuff, you know, like, and Nicole Kidman. It's just, those are just stronger performances. Well, Walt, you've got one more Hanks for the Memories in you, and that is the Gary Sinise role in Forrest Gump, so you'll be back for that, and then you'll be on one more Cruise Club for the Cameron Diaz role of a lifetime in Night and Day. So, I mean, I am excited to talk about both of those. No joke, that's my second favorite Gary Sinise Tom Hanks role. My favorite one is him in uh, Apollo 13. I love that character. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah. Are they... Back to back. They are back to back. Look at that. Yeah. Uh, and between those roles, between Forrest Gump and Apollo 13, over on the Cruise Club feed, Holly's going to be joining us for The Last Samurai. Oh, because, shit. Because, you know, she is our official Asian correspondent. Not, that's a bit, that's a bad way of saying it. <laughs> Not the Asian correspondent. How do we want to say this? She's, she's big in Japan. I'm your friend that lived in Japan for three years, so I can maybe speak to it. Our consultant. And then, Holly, you'll be back for two more uh, Lost at Sea movies, essentially, in Castaway and then also Captain Phillips. Like, you have, oh, wow. you have a nautical theme going on with you. I will gladly come and speak about any movie you want me to, whether I love well, it or hate it. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate both of you stopping by and talking about Big. We are now uh, all allowed to get little again. <laughs> uh, we no longer have to be big, so I just have to find a Zoltar machine and get us shrink, shrink down. But thank you, thank you both so much. Oh, 
that, I mean, thanks for having. This is a lot of fun. I, I really appreciate the like coming on. Like, this is a fun movie. It's always like really, really great to go through this kind of stuff with you guys. It's a, it's a really fun podcast. Yeah, I'm now gonna try and make plans to find a summer carnival and not wish myself out of my <laughs> like. Existence. Yo, quick question: If you got baked, like hypothetically, hmm. like let's say that you got like body swap, whatever you want to call it. Let's say that you look different than you look now, and you had to go to your best friend. What would you tell them to try to convince them that you were oh, you? Boy. Oh, hmm. Wow. Um. I would talk about all of our stupid anime crushes um, because when I was, I, let's be real, still slightly currently, I was very big into anime and like handsome, be shown in cartoon characters. So, really, just like two or three good confessions, she would know it was me. I was also going to say anime. I was going to refer to Yuri on Ice. That would get the job done. I would, uh, I'd probably go over to Joey and list every single Nick Cage movie uh, chronologically. <laughs> <laughs> and he'd be like, well, this can only be one person. It's Lindsay <laughs> Gibb. It's got to be Lindsay Gibb. No. <laughs> it could be Austin Both Southern at this point. I yeah. think it depends on who it would be, but I think something maybe Nicolas Cage related, I think, would probably get the job done. Or more recently, you know, you know Fast and Furious, something like if I had to convince... Mm-hmm. Joe too. I guess it's something to be you know you know for you Mike I think it'd be probably you know Nicholas Cage for Joe too be Fast and Furious like for other people it'd be different things but I think something again I guess there's a reason we're all talking about movies tonight is that pop culture drives the passions and the things the relationships that we have so whether you're talking about anime or Nicholas Cage or whatever that's how you get the job done yeah <laughs> I like that that's a that's, that's a good question though thank you Walt yeah for all things Hanks for the Memories including Walt's episode of Hanks for the Memories volunteers and then also the Cruise Club that he was on you can go to cageclub.me facebook.com/cageclub or at Cage Club Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, hanks at cageclub.me. Check out our Threadless Shop and our Patreon page. And come back in two weeks for Punchline. And then check out next week on the Cruise Club, A Few Good Men, starring the Golden Globe-nominated best actor, Tom Cruise. I'm going to get in every plug of that I possibly can, Mike, so I never forget those again. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Holly Gore and Walt Hickey. And we'll see you next time on Hanks for the Memory. This is the coolest thing I've ever seen!